Greetings, rabble rousers. My name is Jessa McLean. Welcome to Blueprints for Disruption, a weekly discussion dedicated to amplifying activism across Turtle Island. Together, we will examine tactics, explore motivations, and celebrate successes in disrupting the status quo. This podcast is a proud part of New Left Media. Can you imagine a completely democratic workplace? Imagine a community in control of their utilities. And when I say a community, I mean it not just the town or city council, but the people who actually use the utilities. Imagine the possibilities if we structured our services, our workplaces, our communities on the basic principles of cooperation. My next guest argues this is not just possible, but it's being done right now. This episode of Blueprints of Disruption, if you haven't already guessed, is all about cooperatives. As we'll hear, these take many forms, from cooperative housing to credit unions to about every sector in the economy. Now, it's not just the the business model or the economic and social benefits, of which these are plenty, and we do talk about them. It's the potential cooperatives have to encourage a real culture shift, one towards a more humanitarian-based approach to everything that we do. Erin Morgan of the Ontario Cooperative Association joins us, and even as she walks us through the very basics of what a cooperative is, it becomes clear that they have transformative possibilities, especially for those of us looking to chip away at capitalism and its ill effects on society. Now, we often narrow our focus of worker liberation on unions alone. But I think cooperatives, like the ones we discuss in this episode here, offer a range of solutions for people, not just workers, to start to gain control over the services we depend on, more say in our places of employment, more of a stake in the things that really matter. Let's hear more from Erin. So welcome to Blueprints of Disruption, Erin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you take a moment and just introduce yourself to listeners? Hi, well, thanks for having me, Jessa. I, um, I'm Erin Morgan. I'm the executive director of the Ontario Cooperative Association. All right. And we brought you on here today to talk about cooperatives. So I think a lot of people have some experience with cooperative housing. You know, they're very common in most neighborhoods. If you haven't lived in one, you know what they are. But I think far little... Uh, far less is known about workers' cooperatives. Um, But you kind of represent them all. Is that right? We do. We represent the whole spectrum. All right. Can you tell us, you know, let's imagine we have no idea what a cooperative is. You know, uh, folks on the left, we know we've talked about them before. We know that they're good. We're told that they're good. Um, But maybe we don't have uh, quite what an in-depth understanding of what they are and and why we need them so badly. So let's just start at the very, very beginning. Erin, what is a co-op? Well, if we're going to start at the very beginning, it's important to first think about ourselves as human beings and um, our value here on earth and how I personally believe that everyone is born with, with intrinsic value. You're born with value. You're born with a gift or a bunch of gifts. And so it's really important for everyone to recognize that as we sort of think about um, how we work through the world and how we work with other people, it's really important to approach 
every aspect of life thinking about I have gifts and everyone around me has a gift. And so when you approach life that way, then, you know, you think about how you compromise in your family, how you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. And, and everybody brings something to the family dynamic. And, and you think about cooperation in all of your day-to-day life. But the place where we don't think about cooperatives and cooperation is in the business community. But it's probably the most important place to cooperate because a lot of businesses exist because there's a need for that business in society. So housing is a great example. Everyone needs a place to live. And so, but not everyone can afford, you know, their own single house, you know, single detached house. Everyone, but everyone needs a place to live. And so how can we work together to find different approaches to housing so that everyone brings their gifts if they don't have their money? So that's a big part of how co-op housing happened. You know, you needed a house, but you might not have, you know, in Toronto, a million dollars or more to buy a house, but you can take care of the garden. Um, Maybe... You can take care of an elder, and so you share an apartment with somebody you can take care of. And so there's all sorts of cooperative ways that we can live together, but there's also cooperative ways we can do business together. So um, if everybody needs a job and everybody wants to start a cafe, why don't we work together cooperatively to start a business and one person grinds the beans and one person sells the coffee and one person puts it in a cup, you know, you can, you can share the load and, and uh, cooperatively work together. And so if you think about the needs of society, you can think about how everyone can bring their shared gifts together to build a business, um, whether it's gr- a group of workers, whether it's a group of farmers, all bringing their crops together to market them collaboratively cooperatively. Those are the ways that we think about business. So that's really how cooperatives started. They started with a group of individuals having a similar problem that needed to be solved, and they could work together as a community to solve it. So a group of farmers who all go grow a crop, they needed to collectively market it. So they built a business to do that, where they each owned an equal share, and they each had an equal say. And that's essentially what a cooperative is. It's got it's governed by seven principles, and those principles are pretty fundamental to every cooperative internationally. And they really speak to um, cooperatives being open to everyone. You can't um, discriminate um, when it comes to your membership. Uh, everyone has an equal vote. Um, Cooperatives are autonomous organizations, so they are independent from, they can't be owned by a private corporation. Um, In their structure, they are autonomous. And um, cooperatives work with one another. Cooperatives give back to the community. Cooperatives work on education within their staff and their membership. So these are all things that... um, you know, make cooperatives special. But yeah, the the basic thing is that it's uh, cooperatives start with a group of people coming together equally, recognizing each other's gifts to solve a problem. And then they co-own the business if they're workers, uh, or they co-own the business if they are customers of the business or farmers or producers or living in the house. There's different different structures depending on who those members are. But that's, um, I hope I've explained it 
well, but we can talk about different examples too. Let's do that. Like I, I went through your website, which is very impressive, by the way. Um, there is a lot of information on there. And what I loved about it was a directory of cooperatives in Ontario. You know, you could search by sector uh, or you could just kind of peruse. So I was just looking at it all and it's very eclectic group of businesses uh, from breweries to, you know, kind of healthcare providers. Obviously, there's a large insurance and investment sector. Can you give us what is one of the largest cooperatives in Ontario? Well, our credit unions are very large. Um, we have a number of very large agricultural cooperatives. Um, so, and those are both actually completely different structures. So, um, a credit union, and there are a number of, uh, large and small ones. There's a, there's a credit union in every community across Ontario, whether you're in rural Ontario or in the city. So some of the big ones are Desjardins, Meridian, First Ontario in the Hamilton region, uh, Libro in southwestern Ontario, Alterna across the province. Um, so these uh, these credit unions, um, their customers own them. So if you have an account in a credit union, you are an owner of the credit union. And because everyone is an equal owner, it doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. You have the same uh, vote, the same share as everyone else. So what it means is if you have a, an account with a credit union, um, you can vote in the annual meeting. You can run for the board. Um, you can make you can help the credit union make decisions um, about how they treat their customers, um, how they structure the business. Uh, there's obviously rules to follow um, within, you know, by the government. But um you know, there are, the credit unions give back in the community, and it's the members that drive a lot of that community giving. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that would be an example. A credit union is a consumer co-op, so it's owned by the members are the consumers, and in the case of a credit union, they're the account holders. Um, but in a big farm co-op like Gailey Foods, um, another big one is Growmark, all those um, farm stores uh, that you see in the countryside with the brand name FS Partners. They're owned by a company called Growmark, um, which is actually on both sides of the border in Canada and the U.S. And um, the farmers uh, own Growmark. So um, the farmers deliver their um, grain to be marketed uh, they shop for um, all their different farm supply needs from the local store. And um, they vote for who sits on the board and they make decisions about, you know, who they're going to hire as the CEO and how that whole company is going to run. Gailey Foods works the same way, owned by the dairy farmers that ship the milk to Gailey Foods. Um, so they make decisions about that. And Gailey Foods has actually grown beyond Ontario as well. It's, it's become a large cooperative. They're in Manitoba and I believe in the Maritimes as well. You talk about... Um cooperatives being autonomous and, you know, the guiding principles and also being democratic. What ensures that they are democratic, you know, um, and that they're focused on the people and planet and not only profits? Uh, what stops or, you know, is there good cooperatives? Are there bad cooperatives in, t in terms of social impact? Other than the government, like how are they governed or regulated? 
Well, I hope there are no bad cooperatives, but a, co- a cooperative is really a product of the people who own it. <laughs> um, and and so uh, there's, it's not like, so in a traditional business structure, and everybody understands sort of how a public, publicly traded corporation works, right? There are shareholders and they have shares and those can be traded um, openly, you know, um, on the NASDAQ or, you know, Toronto Stock Exchange. And, uh, and then those shareholders, um, they really, the, the profitability of the business, you know, feeds that share structure so that people become more profitable. The more profitable the business is, the more profitable the shareholders. But if you think about that structure, um, the profit is always exiting that business going out to the shareholders. And the shareholders aren't always the customers. So you can own shares in Bell Canada but not be a Bell Canada customer. Um, and so the CEO is pulled in two different directions, right? They, they are delivering, they're trying to develop, deliver value to all of those Bell customers so that they don't lose their customers. But on the other hand, they also have a shareholder base who they're also, they're always trying to maximize profits because they're trying to deliver value back to the, all those shareholders. And so it's a very polarizing, it can be a very polarizing position. In a cooperative, there are the shareholders and the customers are the same. So, in a cooperative like um, Hay Communications, which is a telecommunications company like Bell, but the owners are the people who live in the community, it means that the community around Hay Communications decides where the fiber gets laid. And even though maybe it's not super profitable this year to lay fiber out to every single farm property, because that's very expensive to do, at the end of the day, that's important to the overall health of the community. And so they, they'll make a different decision that it puts people ahead of the profit that says, hey, those are equal members to me, even though I live in town, they need to have access to high-speed internet to do their business. Their business is super important to the community because they shop in the community and they create value for the community. And so why shouldn't we lay fiber? And so because the Hay Communications doesn't have outside shareholders to please and their profit stays right within Hay Communications and gets reinvested in all those fiber cables and all of that, um, all the other assets, the community benefits every time they make a decision for the community, even if that decision is not driven by profit. So it's a very different approach to the business model and the governance, the, the whole structure of it kind of keeps everybody focused on why we're here. Because the governance is that members of the community are elected to sit on the board and the board, you know, like, looks after the CEO, they tell the CEO what's the what are the priorities. And so in a in a business like Hay Communications, they would have some rural customers that would sit on the board and they would have some town customers that would sit on the board. And so that governance structure of having a, a diversity of customers sitting on the board advising, you know, the, the business decisions and setting the policies, where should the fiber be laid, you know, the rural customers have representation. And that's what makes sure that the purpose of the organization stays in place, is that representation. And a well-governed co-op is one that has representation of all 
the diversity of all the members. Um, and if they don't, they still always strive for that. And um, all of the governance uh, training that we do always reinforces the importance of representation um, and that equality of voice. Let's talk a little bit more about what you folks do over at the Ontario Cooperative Association. So I know education is obviously a huge part of it. You're doing it right now with me and the listeners. Your website is full of it. I mean, between the videos and the data sheets. Um, but what else are you, you know, achieving your goals and maybe share, you know, what are the ultimate goals of the Ontario Cooperative Association? More co-ops? Yeah, of course. Always. <laughs> a little more nuanced than that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, it's interesting. If you look at the cooperative principles, the last four principles are the education, the cooperation amongst co-ops, and the care, the concern for community. Those are the last three cooperative principles. The first three about you know um, the mem- one member one vote and um, ensuring the diversity of the membership and all those. Those are within the individual co-ops to ensure that they're achieving those first four principles. But when it comes to the last three. That's where all co-ops working together actually do a better job. All co-ops working together through our organization to create educational materials and to um, share educational materials and make sure that everyone has access to um, the education, educational resources. You know, that's one big thing that our organization does. Then uh, the second one of cooperation amongst co-ops, there's a reason why cooperation of Co- uh, cooperation amongst co-ops comes before concern for community in the list of cooperative principles. And that's because you can't be extremely successful in having concern for your community and giving back to the community if you're not cooperating as a sector, I personally believe. And so our organization is set up very much to bring everybody together to have um, broader conversations to say, okay, where, um, where does the community need cooperatives? How do we work together to address big issues that are facing our communities? So and how do we make sure that the credit unions are at the table and the agricultural co-ops are at the table and um, the urban cooperatives and the worker cooperatives? How do we make sure the housing cooperatives every is at the table? So a really great example is that the federal government just announced $1.5 billion to build 6,000 new housing co-op units across Canada, which is amazing. But we can do better than that. We can build housing co-ops, but we can also build the whole community infrastructure around them so that the housing cooperatives have access to renewable energy so that they save on energy costs. And then the housing co-ops maybe have a daycare within them that's cooperatively managed. And maybe there's elder care that can be done so that people who are aging in place in those housing co-ops have access to our PSW co-ops, our personal support worker co-ops. Anybody who's uh, disabled um, or needs care can have access to our disability support worker co-ops. We can think about the broader community when we set up you know, we wouldn't ever say, oh, it's just housing. Like our organization can bring all the other players. There should definitely be a credit union close by. You know, how do we build whole communities that serve the whole person um, and and all the community's needs thinking cooperatively? Um, So that's something our organization does very much. And that sort of addresses both cooperation amongst co-ops and concern for community 
And then there are just lots and lots of business supports that we provide to our members, um, you know, which span the whole breadth of the cooperative sector. Um, you know, some smaller co-ops, sometimes they need board training, um, some larger cooperatives, uh, maybe they would it, um, having, having educational materials for all of their employees, um, because as soon as a cooperative gets to a certain size where they're very large, sometimes the newest hires have no idea what kind of a business that they've just been hired into and how exciting it is that they work for Meridian Credit Union. And so you're a teller at Meridian Credit Union. Somebody comes in, they're like, why should I open an account here versus at TD Bank? Well, if the Meridian teller knows that Meridian is a cooperative and what that means in the grand scheme of society well, then they have a much better story to tell. So one of the things that we do is a program called Onboard, which is for new employees, new board members, new members of cooperatives to just give them the, you know, the overall experience to get them really excited about the sector that they just joined. So that's how we support our members. And then um, the other sort of newer thing that we've been starting to do, we always do co-op development. Somebody calls us up there like, we want to start a co-op. How do we do it? No problem. We have all the resources lined right up and we'll walk you through that. But we, we want to go one further than that. And we want to say, okay, we have some pretty serious issues in society, like people wanting to age in place in their home, but they can't because there's not there's there are not enough personal support workers to support aging in place, especially in rural Ontario. So we're starting to say, okay, here are some issues that we can address by creating cooperatives, by intentionally creating cooperatives. And so we're working with partners like um, just like Family, which is a home care business and that has franchise locations across Ontario. And we're saying, how do we form worker co-ops of PSWs or other people who support the elderly to age in place, how do we um, create a co-op and, and um, so that it's a franchise, but it's a cooperatively owned franchise um, so that the workers own the business that they work for so that you don't have the problems of continuous turnover and that the workers have um, a lot more decision-making power about the schedule that they're going to work or the working conditions or the salary that they get paid because they own the business and they can make those decisions and they're not beholden to anybody. So those are the types of things that we're doing at the OCA. Just a, just a little bit of stuff. Just you, you ended there talking about specifically workers cooperatives and the power that they have over, you know, things like their salary and the, the path the business takes that seems you know i want to do a bit of a comparison on uh cooperatives not versus unions because that makes it sounds like a competition but you know at at first hearing that that's a lot more control than union members have over their salary um you know they are part of a collective bargaining but it's always versus the bosses right so the that can be a huge barrier depending on the power structure that exists and trends that are, exist at the time. But, you know, is, is starting a cooperative at your workplace um, or as a means of doing a business model, an alternative to unionizing? Can they th- live cohesively together? 
I think they can. I think that uh, unions and co-ops have uh, they live quite cohesively in, in society because um, I think they come in in different in different for different reasons in different conditions. So a lot of times when workers talk about unionizing, yeah, it's because they're working for usually a very large corporation. And by working together, they feel like they collectively can bargain for what they need, whether that's a better salary, better working conditions, both, um, you know, improved, I don't know, vacation time or, you know, there's loads of reasons why you, why people come together um, as a union. Um, and some of the same things, there is overlap uh, where if you are, you know, a cooperatively owned business where the workers own the business, uh, there's definitely overlap. You definitely get a say in all of those things. But um, from a practical standpoint, um, I don't ever imagine that General Motors will become a cooperative, um, but they will always have um, workers who would like to collectively bargain for better working conditions. Um, you know, where where there is an opportunity for businesses to convert, we call it a business conversion to cooperative. Um, and, and a lot of times that happens in the succession process where somebody who owns a business says, looks out at the landscape and says, who am I going to sell this business to? And, you know, they can, they have options that they're usually well aware of. You know, you contact a real estate agent who works in commercial real estate and sells your storefront. Um, or, you know, you you talk to all of the different stakeholders in your business and see if anybody wants to own it. But a lot of times people overlook the opportunity for their own employees to collectively purchase the business. And um, there are in Canada, there's been a lot of uh, conversation recently about ESOPs. So um, the employees purchasing um the business through sort of a scheduled uh, transition process. But a lot of times that's just the management that are being offered that buyout opportunity. But in a cooperative, in a, in some businesses, you know, you could, you could sell the whole business to your staff, create, create a cooperative. It recently happened with um, an architectural firm here in Guelph where um, uh, a single architect had employees who worked for him and uh, he wanted to sell his business to all the employees together uh, and wanted them all to have sort of an equal share in the business. And uh, cooperative made the most sense. So they became a worker cooperative. So that's um, Arise Architects. Um, but yeah, and then you can also have like the Aaron Theater in Eastern Ontario was purchased by by the patrons. They didn't want to lose their local theater in the in their downtown and they, um, so they all got together and they bought it as a cooperative. So it's not just employees that can, can purchase a business. I'm starting to understand too why, you know, I see on your website, there was also um, a move towards bringing this kind of education and I, these ideas into the classroom, right? So that people start to see them as real solutions to problems like your local theater is going under. Or I saw, I believe it was a letter written to the, the Minister of Finance where you offered solutions to small businesses, a lot of them going under during COVID, you know, the sustainability of cooperatives. Um, let's get, we'll go back to that sustainability as well, because I do want to know, you know, why. But um you talked about workers buying 
uh, a place of business when it's maybe transferring hands. I have a friend uh, who actually suggested you for an episode, Yamin, and one of the proposals that he had for the NDP as a policy item was to, when a business goes under or, you know, threatens to leave Canada for whatever reason, that, you know, first choice of refusal or first, the first opportunity should go to workers to buy that business first before anything else. Uh, Do you guys support that kind of legislation? Would something like that be a viable solution? Uh, it's definitely an interesting approach, and uh, and one that we would be um, very interested in talking to uh, talking about further. Um, yeah, I think if a business is threatening to leave a community, um, there are lots of jobs to be lost, and uh, there would be an opportunity potentially. You know, all of these things they're they are all on a case by case basis. It's really difficult to sort of set. Um, broad policy and say, you know, businesses can't leave unless the community gets a chance to buy it. You know, there are so many mitigating circumstances that, um, you know, sometimes businesses leave a community because there aren't enough employees, um, just in general, uh, for them to be successful. So, um, yeah, but I I would be open to um, being part of the conversation um, when businesses move, you know, that's, you mentioned education in the classroom and that's why knowledge about cooperatives is so important because people just don't think about co-ops as a viable alternative. And so, you know, is it government policy that is required to sort of force the discussion or is it um, better education around cooperatives that will just sort of naturally create those opportunities to have those conversations you know, I think those are two, those are two different directions. Um, and, and I would also suggest, you know, one place where the government could write policy, I suggest, is around the selling of government assets. So um, before you privatize a government-owned asset, I would suggest that consumers like Ontario taxpayers get the chance to cooperatively own that government asset. I do think that there should be a policy discussion when it comes to um, corporations before they transition to private shareholders, private ownership, big CEO salaries. Um, If they are private asset or publicly held assets, the public should get a chance to continue public ownership through the cooperative model. What is what does the financial purchase of that look like? So, you know, not every Ontarian would have money. Some have none, right, to to make that purchase. Or, you know, the other example that we were talking about, let's say a business is, is going under and the workers are interested in purchasing it but don't have the capital, right? That's quite common, right, the working poor. Mm-hmm. Are there supports in place uh, for folks to do this or should there be? Yeah, it really depends on the um, it really depends on the business as well, whether it's, you know, for profit, not for profit. In a lot of for profit businesses, there's profit that, um, you know, a, a scheduled payback structure would make sense so that the employee doesn't need to come up with the money right up front that um, the profits of the business are reinvested back in the business in the form of like covering the employee's share. Um, 
so that if, yeah, so that over time, all that, all the profit sharing that an employee would take out of the business gets put back in and, and to purchase their, their share. So there's, um, there's structures like that. Uh, there are government, government grants and government opportunities. There are also, you know, loans, um, through credit unions, um, that can be explored, um, basically to take that buyout and stretch it out over a long period of time. And in a lot of cases, um, if a business owner is going to sell to their employees, um, they don't want their money right on day one. You know, there, there can be a negotiation for, um, paying that purchase, over the over a period of time, um, so that the employees uh, can find the money, um, and a lot of times, as I said, that comes from the profit sharing. I mean, it seems like a great solution, especially for for folks on the left. You know, see the word profits and immediately cringe, right? And a lot of folks have really good business ideas for their community, you know, needs that need to be met, but want to be responsible business owners. Uh, cooperatives seem like a great solution to that. You know, uh, no one wants to turn into a, well, not no one, into a capitalist, right? But they do have an idea of something that will thrive, right? That will generate uh, something that's needed, could possibly employ uh, people in their community. Where do they start? You know, um, I want to start a cooperative here in my neighborhood. Yeah, they start with a, us. A coffee shop. <laughs> you call you. <laughs> they start with our first organization. Step. And then, you know, where do you take them from there? What's what's their first baby steps? Well, uh, the same is with every business plan. You need a business or is that with every business idea, you need a business plan. So that's that's where we take people. You know, a cooperative just has probably more people involved in the writing of that business plan, more people um, offering their talents and their input, um, offering their, their sweat equity, um, to build that business. Um, and, and so where do you start? You start with a business plan you start with a feasibility study, um, just the same way that you would start any business. And you don't necessarily have to start with the Ontario Cooperative Association. There are small business enterprise centers, uh, run by the, you know, Ontario government. Um, there are lots of, there are lots of different places that will will help you write a business plan if it's something that you've never done before. Um, so you can reach out in your local community to your local sort of Ontario um, service Ontario office and find out, you know, who helps with business plan writing. And um, because the the business the there has to be a viable business, you know, where there's going to be money to be made, whether that's for profit or not for profit. I mean, you still um, there still has to be value. Um, created uh, for the community. And um, and I, I didn't say it at the start, but a cooperative can be a for-profit or a not-for-profit uh, enterprise. Um, and you can um, have people can purchase shares in a for-profit cooperative. Um, and people can loan money to uh, a cooperative, uh, whether it's um, uh, whether it's for profit or not for profit, people, there's a whole community bond structure where people can essentially loan money to the cooperative to help get it started. And then they um, get interest on the money that they loan. But of course, all of that comes back to having to have a viable business plan. There has to be a business. Um, and then once you have the business plan idea, then um, 
then the cooperative governance piece comes into play. And you might not be able to find the support for the cooperative governance piece at uh, your local business office. We're working on that. But uh, that's where you can come to the Ontario Cooperative Association. We can help you with the um, governance pieces, um, the, the, the general structure of the membership, the voting, um, whether it, if it's uh, a for-profit business, um, we call it patronage, which is essentially profit sharing. And um, we can help you structure those things. But, um, but yeah, the very first step is to get together with a group of people. You need three people to start a worker co-op. You need five people to start any other type of cooperative. Um, and, and just start with your business plan. Okay. So there are definite rules, right? Like there's, yeah. It is there are so there's pieces of legislation that set out you know what a cooperative is and how they have to structure themselves. Is that correct? Yeah, there are some there are some rules. There's the um, the Cooperative Corporations Act in Ontario governs cooperatives, um, and yeah, the Cooperative Corporations Act spells out that um, a cooperative must have if it's a worker co-op three members if it's a if it's any other type of co-op, five members. Um, there are there's some specific legislation for housing co-ops um, because that's a slightly different um, structure. And um, I would suggest anybody interested in housing cooperatives um, should co- should uh, contact the Cooperative Housing Federation, um, CHF Canada, um, and they can help with uh, any ideas around housing. Um, but yeah, and then, then you can look through the act. It's, uh, it's pretty long and detailed, but we also have a, um, we sell a plain language No, that's guide. what you're for. We'll call you and yeah. we'll ask you. Our organization, sells, so. our organization sells a plain language guide to the act for anybody who does have questions and is very interested in all the ins and outs, um, but yeah, it's, but it is funny because it says right in the act that a cooperative has to um, operate on a cooperative basis, which is, um, it's like, that's helpful. Thanks. <laughs> so yeah, you can, any questions, people can come to us. Aaron, like, I got this list in all the, the things um, that cooperatives impact, um, you know, we didn't touch on it, but the ability to address climate change um, the promotion of democratic values, right? Housing, precarious work, sustainable businesses. You know, why aren't there more cooperatives? I know there are a lot. I looked, I was very astonished. Um, I wrote down some numbers, like, you know, $3 billion just in the insurance and investment sector in Ontario. Um, there's 137 healthcare and social assistance cooperatives in Ontario. You know, I was surprised seven utility cooperatives that for some reason, whatever that surprised me, but why isn't this a bigger solution? Let's start with Ontario. Uh, Are there barriers? What? No, the history, history is the reason. So um, Quebec is the largest region in Canada, like for cooperative for cooperation. And it's it's baked right into the fabric of their whole lives, um, and so they were they were brought up in a cooperative culture. So of course it perpetuates a cooperative culture. Um, when you're surrounded by cooperative businesses and you understand why they were formed, 
um, you continue to see the value in those cooperative businesses. And, uh, and more start out. And also um, the Quebec government fully understands cooperative business. And so a lot of cooperative business stems from municipalities saying, how do we cooperatively solve this problem affecting our municipality? And so it's just a very different approach. In Ontario, because we don't have the long tail of um, this, this cooperative approach to business here in our province, the only way to really develop it and get it to get it going again is to start with youth, is to, to teach it in class. And when you look at um, a business class, when you look at the, the curriculum for, uh, for business, grade 11 business, there's a paragraph about co-ops. And if their kids are lucky, their teacher might read the paragraph to them. Oh, but most of the time, the kids are just given pages, you know, 17 and 18 out of the textbook to read. And one of the paragraphs is about co-ops and they skim it and it's not even on the test. So why would we understand it? And so we've developed a curriculum called uh, a curriculum based um, program. It's called Cooperative Minds. Teachers can incorporate it right into their classes at any grade. Um, At different grades, we focus on different things so that fits perfectly within the curriculum And um, we're a little tricky in that we don't teach them about cooperatives. We let them learn about cooperatives on their own. Um, We we present them with a problem, a business problem, a real problem that a real cooperative business is facing. And the kids are put in groups to research and solve that problem. And while they're working together in the groups, we help them with different ways of approaching group work that allow them to collaborate and cooperate better. And we call out all the things that very typically come up when you're working in a group. Biases and um, lack of recognition of people's gifts, empathy, lack of empathy, all of those things, we call them out and we give them tools to work through them. And as they work with the tools that we give them to solve the cooperative problem that they've been presented they come up with a cooperative solution all on their own and then you're like ding 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 you know you've just created a cooperative business and it blows their minds and it's um it's a really great program cooperative minds i will say again is the name of it and we have developed a new curriculum for elementary school students that don't focus on a business case problem but just focus on all of those um, necessary skills for cooperation. So empathy and recognition of other people's gifts and all of those wonderful things that go into creating the perfect environment for cooperation. So um, that's a that's an element for our school curriculum. I've, I've written that down. I think I'll be pestering uh, trustee friends and anyone I know in the York Christian School Board where I am to slide that into their DMs as a suggestion. Um, because I think what gets me most excited as I learn about cooperatives and we talk about their impacts, yes, they're good business models. Yes, they benefit workers and all the other things. But it's this culture shift that it has potential to create um, where I think one of the biggest barriers to 
providing an equitable society is this individualism that has been bred into, that's an awful word, uh, individualism that has just been, uh, we've been conditioned to believe is true. Um, You know, no one actually succeeds on their own. Most socialists and people on the left understand that, which is why we look towards cooperative solutions to all of our problems. But I think allowing people to work in these environments bank in these environments, you know, and then, you know, ideally learn about it at a young age, it has so much potential to really start to reshape how we look at what a business is, what its purpose is, what your personal goals are, you know, and it's not to be wealthy, but to provide for your community and not have to want for anything at the same time. So, you know, if you want to just kind of go on that and, and does that drive your work a lot? Like, do you get excited about that in the same way? You must. I'm so, so this is what drives it. So the last few years, the pandemic has really created a greater divide in our economy because there were people who were privileged enough to stay home and work and stay safe. And then there were the frontline workers who had to go in and, um, you know, take it on the chin every single day. They had to put themselves and their families in danger. And it just, and then there were a whole bunch of people who, um, you know, maybe didn't have to work or, you know, they, we just had, we created this cultural divide. And um, a lot of the, a lot of the work that we have been doing is starting to say, how do we build generational wealth? And the only way to do that is for communities to own assets to, to, um, and this is why cooperatives are not, not for profits. Cooperatives are for profit businesses because the goals of a lot of cooperatives is to create generational wealth is for all of those business owners to make a profit in order to buy a house in order to, you know, have everything that they need. And then for their communities to grow, you know, even more wealth that they pass on from generation to generation and stop, you know, cycles of poverty and stop all of the problems that we have by allowing people like it's not my job to create the business and then hand it to somebody or have the idea. Like that's the best part about cooperatives the best part of cooperatives is I don't have the answer. The people in the community that see the opportunity or the challenge that's faced by the community co-design the solution and, um, and then they own it and then they create the wealth from it. And that wealth, you know, builds the entire community's economy. And that is the important part about cooperatives and why they are so important today, even more than they were, you know, before the pandemic, they're so important for building the wealth of communities. And the other thing is, and this is not recognized by a lot of people, and I really wish it was, but we didn't invent cooperatives in the Western world. And the idea is very much built. So the first cooperatives were, you know, came from India. We love to talk about um, the first cooperatives 
you know, being formed in the UK and we have all kinds of stories, but India is actually the birthplace of cooperation and every culture in the world has cooperation at its base. Somehow in Ontario, we have lost sight of cooperating uh, and, and building wealth and passing it down generation by generation. But, you know, a lot of people who arrive in Ontario coming from a different place in the world, I think I can't speak for them, but I'm going to guess they're pretty shocked to find that we're not as cooperative as the place where they came from um, because we're pretty behind the times. And so I think that uh, we have a lot to learn by from people who are coming to our country, bringing a cooperative tradition. Um, we have a lot to learn. And I think in a lot of cases, we should just be handing the reins over and saying, please show us, please teach us how to do this better. And so a lot of my work recently is, has been with people who are teaching me and showing me the ways that can be better. And uh, so that's, because they've that's exciting. come from places. Yeah, they've come from a deep cooperative tradition. Deep cooperative tradition. That's funny because it ties into my last episode. That was a group of workers out of Brampton self-organizing around getting stolen wages back, and it was absolutely imperative to that that they impress upon me that. It was a collective. It was a cooperative. They didn't use that exact language, but also that that was how they grew up. That was part of the Sikh culture and that you you fight alongside of one another. And and the way that the group worked was, you know, once your wages were won back or your victory was won or not won, you know, you were expected to stay and help the next person. And, you know, this exponentially has grown the group and provide better and better results for the people in it. And so, yeah, it's absolutely something we need to recognize that there is something inherent in the culture that we have here that, you know, is, needs a lot of improvement that, you know, this, the myth of individuals and I kind of touched on earlier is, is just that is a myth. You know, we do need to work in groups and, and rely on each other. In, in this way. So is there, you know, you mentioned India as the birthplace of cooperatives. Is there somewhere we can look other than Quebec where it's, you know, there's real success stories that, you know, the economy the is thriving, the people are thriving. Um, and, you know, you might attribute that to higher instances of cooperatives. What's well, the first place that comes to mind? The first place is the place that everybody says, which is um, Mondragon. Uh, the Basque region of Spain. So um, that's where you can see a thriving cooperative economy. Um, but um, there are places in India where you can see the same thing. Um, I would suggest that uh, the work of Dr. Caroline Shanaz Hussain is a way of reading about cooperation coming from um, many different cultural places Um mostly uh, the African diaspora, but uh, Dr. Caroline Shnaz Hussain writes about um, women cooperating and improving their communities. And she has so many different examples of amazing, amazing women. And she's done a documentary um, on a group of women she calls the Banker Ladies. Um, 
and it's uh, an informal cooperative network. And um, yeah, she she's coined the term, or I don't know, she coined the term, but uh, the term that she uses is ROSCA, which is Rotating Savings and Credit Association. But in every culture, it has a different name, um, like SUSU or Hagbad or Partner, um, lots of different names in, in many different cultures. And so, um, yeah, she interviews these ladies. Um, but there is an entire... in in. Canada, anyway, and other places in the world, like in India, they figured out how to um, include the informal cooperatives within the formal, uh, sort of the formal governance of society. Uh, in Canada, we haven't figured out how to do that yet. So there are lots of um, informal cooperatives, and they should be recognized as well um, in Ontario, um, because it's this group, like you're talking about, people who have organized um, for the purpose of business or supporting one another with a, with an outcome that will benefit their community. And just because they didn't incorporate as a cooperative doesn't mean that they are, they, sh- they shouldn't be recognized as one. I imagine that's another one of the things that you folks are working on. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that, I think, I think there's an opportunity um, to not, we don't need to necessarily have everybody incorporate, but what we can do is recognize the value of the informal and the within the formal so that an informal cooperative isn't treated as something that's maybe borderline illegal or in a gray area. Um, it, it can just be what it is, which is a group of people coming together to, to improve their lives. And, and yeah, so I think we can just do a better job of recognizing the informal within the formal systems that we have. Absolutely. And I thought it was just such a great way to organize workers. And um, it just seems so first nature to them. You know, it was um, it was promising, especially it was mostly youth workers, like you said. So that's it needs to start start there. You know, we're getting uh, near the end of our conversation. Is there anything that we haven't brought up that you know listeners need to know about the state of co-ops or you know the power that they hold i just encourage people once they know about cooperatives to start looking around at the structures of you know businesses in their community or decisions that get made maybe within their municipal government or the the provincial mm-hmm. government and look at opportunities where a different decision could create more opportunity for collective ownership, for building generational wealth, for uh, making sure that everyone continues to own public assets. You know, just, you know, the more you understand about the power of cooperation, the more you see the opportunity for it. And so I just encourage people to get involved in, especially in your municipality with the upcoming elections and start to look at the ways where, you know, councillors can, can start to see where working together cooperatively with their community and building these community assets will benefit everyone. Um, but yeah, bring us your great ideas and, um, and speak about co-ops Whenever you get the chance, I encourage everyone to um, to look into it, get more information, reach out to me, emorgan at ontario.coop. 
Look at our website, Ontario.coop. Talk to your teachers about teaching the cooperative business model. Yeah, just be in touch. We would be happy to help. I'm glad you hit on the municipal election there. Um, and because as you say, these solutions to building assets, but also saving assets. And I think it would be really interesting for all the municipal candidates listening and that they incorporate this also into their campaigns as solutions to issues that your communities are facing that your your opponents likely won't offer, right? They'll have the same old models. And these this is very innovative. I think every community can relate to those lost assets at some point and what it would have been like to have more control over those assets and to keep jobs within the community and whatnot. So um, that tie-in was perfect for the timing here because I think politically that's where a lot of people's minds are and if work can be done there to, to boost the cooperative idea, then let's do it. I'll be sure to share the links alongside the episode. Um, but yeah, Erin, is there anything you want to let us know? Uh, anything else that the Ontario Cooperative Association has coming up? Or Oh, we have so many things. So many things. But uh, just keep, <laughs> it, keep an eye on our website. Um, we will be at Queen's Park on October 18th, talking all things co-op. Co-op week is uh, starts on the 17th. Yeah, it's that week. Um, the 17th of October uh, is co-op week. So look for co-ops in your community. Support the businesses. They're everywhere. We are everywhere. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Erin, um, uh, for taking me on this journey of like, Cooperative 101, and I'm way more excited about the uh, possibilities of cooperatives now. Yam, my friend Yaman's always trying to get me to talk about them, and I, I think I just didn't know enough. And so I feel a lot better equipped to, you know, promote this kind of idea and, and these kinds of solutions. So I appreciate your time a lot, and I, I hope the listeners also feel better equipped and um, I do appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to Yaman because he's a great guy and I really appreciate him uh, connecting us. So thanks very much. I want to encourage folks again to look up cooperatives in their area and support them if they can. And to really look at cooperative solutions in general to solve the issues that most of our communities are facing right now. I think we can really get excited about what cooperatives hold in terms of the conditions that we need to start to break down capitalism and the ideas that really prop it up. These possibilities are amplified when cooperatives all over start collaborating with one another in the way that the Ontario Cooperative Association facilitates. So thank you again to Erin and to her co-workers at the Ontario Cooperative Association for their time and for their work. Like in all things that we do, there is a team behind Blueprints of Disruption. I want to give a big thank you to our producers, Santiago, Hello Quintero, and Jay Woodruff. Our show is also made possible by the support of our listeners. So if you appreciate our content and would like to become a patron, please visit us at www.patreon.com backslash BP of disruption. So if you know of any work that should be amplified or want to provide feedback of our show, please reach out to us on Twitter at BP of disruption. Blueprints of disruption is a project of New Left Media, an independent employee-owned company.